Good evening, church. Out of all my preparation, that was the one thing I was like, I can't say good morning, church. I'm good now. Uh, If you would join me in prayer. Father, we come before you on this good Friday. Truly the best Friday. Because we are here standing in righteousness because of what you did on the cross by sending your son, as we just sang, to pay the debt in full for us. It is finished. That's what we celebrate today. And it is a celebration, Father. We are celebrating that you have reconciled us back to you through the death on the cross. We thank you for that. We pray that we wouldn't forget that. As Jason reminded, I will remind, when we leave today, don't forget so quickly as we're inclined to what Jesus did on the cross. I pray that we won't forget. We thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So I have water and I have tissues and I have a sermon and supposedly that's supposed to come together in 25 minutes. So here we go. Um, We're going to be reading mainly out of John 19 verses 28 through 30. So you can go ahead and get your app open or your Bible opened. And um, I am going to jump around and on your sermon notes, there are references to all of the different passages that I pulled into the scripture. So don't feel like you have to jump around and flip. They're there for your reference later on. As I was preparing this message, I kept finding myself thinking, I'm really, really excited to be done, to be finished, to be able to share it with all of you, of course. And I realized this might be just a small indication of how Jesus felt. He was waiting and waiting and waiting for that time where he would go to the cross and fulfill the prophecies to do what it is that his father had asked him to do. And while we all know it's written how he suffered on his way to and on the cross, I'm assured by his final words, he was likely glad to have finally completed what the father had asked him. Hebrews 12.2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I think that this is a general feeling we all get when we accomplish a project, right? It's finished. It is finished. And I didn't electrocute myself. Usually goes (laughs) along with that. The greatest project ever planned had come to an end. The greatest project ever. It was the eternal plan of God to reconcile us back to him through the sacrifice of his own son, Jesus Christ. And it was accomplished. So let's read the passage for today together. Uh, If you've not already gone there, again, John 19, verse 28 through 30. Uh, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, in order to fulfill scripture, I thirst. 
a jar of, of a jar full of sour wine stood there and they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and they raised it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. John presents Jesus' declaration here using the Greek word tetelestai. I practice that word too. Archaeologists have used this word throughout history inscribed on records to indicate when debts have been paid or obligations have been met. That which Jesus was sent to accomplish, an atonement for the sin on behalf of mankind, 2 Corinthians 5.21, is entirely and fully completed in that moment. It is finished. No further work needs to be done, nor can it be done, as you see in Titus 3.5. There is no room for other actions, rituals, sacraments, sacrifices, payments, in order to accomplish salvation. 1 Peter 3.18, Hebrews 10.12.40, it's all over scripture. It's done. There's nothing else that we can do. The fact that Jesus is said to have given up his spirit is significant. Thank you, Bill. Matthew and Luke make similar observations in Matthew 27, Luke 23. From a physical standpoint, Jesus' body has suffered fatal injury. And yet, his death is entirely an act of his own will. That included his willingness to be born into human form, to submit to God's will, Matthew 26, and allow his own arrest and execution, which you see in Philippians 2. Whether literally or as a statement of agreement, Scripture, hear this because Scripture is its own authority, Scripture clarifies that Jesus is giving up his life. And he's giving it up to God the Father. It's not being stripped away from him by force. It's being given up willingly. Jesus was able to say on the cross, it is finished in a loud cry. It is finished in a loud cry. It is the shout of a victor. This is not the last words of a dying man who is weak. Jesus said to the disciples in John 10, 17 through 18, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The way Jesus committed his spirit into the hands of the father and died is a guarantee that he had accomplished everything that was required by the father. His sacrifice was accepted by the father and Jesus was able to depart in peace in the firm assurance of his resurrection on the third day, according to his word. So because of the sacrifice on the cross, we're assured 
of the completion of these three points that I want to share with you that goes along with our theme of standing firm this year at Hope Chapel. So on your handouts, you have those those points uh, to fill in and some space to take notes. I followed Kurt's lead there as far as the handout went. You're welcome. Um, But my intention with these points is that you'll see and hear that while it was a day that Jesus certainly endured pain, suffering, abuse, and of course, ultimately death, we can and we should look to the fulfillment of the Father's promise to us as a good day. Even though Jesus paid the price, as we just sang, in our place, he paid the price in our place. He had done none of the things that we have done. His obedience to the Father is why we have cause for celebration. So the first point is, Jesus accomplished the prophecies Everything that happened to Jesus on the cross was according to the prophecies of the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 15.3 For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Even some single details that seem to be of no importance for us, those were accomplished too. This was to show us that Jesus was put to death not only by the envy of the high priest and of the Jewish leaders, but this was, it was God's plan to sacrifice the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When the soldiers divided Jesus' clothes among themselves, Psalm twenty two seventeen was accomplished at the same time. It says, they divided my garments among them and they cast lots for my clothing. Psalm 22 is the song of the suffering Messiah. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was uttering the first words of that same psalm. Later, knowing that all of it was accomplished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. They soaked the sponge. They raised it on the hyssop plant. They lifted it to his lips. And again, that same psalm, 2215, describes the situation of this dying Messiah My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. It's kind of how I felt before I came up here, by the way. And Psalm 65, 21 says, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Even after Jesus' death, when the soldiers pierced Jesus' side, and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus so that they would die faster, Jesus never had his bones broken. This also, according to God's law about the Paschal Lamb, a lamb sacrificed at Passover, shown in Exodus 12. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take it 
any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. It's right here. And Psalm twenty two sixteen says, They have pierced my hands and my feet. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieves bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Everything that happened to Jesus on the cross was according to the prophecies of the Old Testament. That was the first point. Point number two. The salvation plan was accomplished. But not only these external signs were fulfilled, but the most important in God's plan was accomplished. The salvation, <clears throat> excuse me, the salvation for all of us brothers and sisters was accomplished for us. The seed of the woman promised to Eve in the lost paradise that would come to restore communion between man and God is the son of Mary, Jesus of Nazareth. Even dying on the cross, he showed concerns for his mother. Children hear that. Concerns for your mother. His good friend and disciple, John the Baptist, an apostle, he was concerned for him at that same time even knowing that he was going to die, Jesus was still caring about others in that moment. It's also true that even today, Jesus is caring about us, loving us. This is the entire point of why he died on the cross. It was for us, because he loves and cares for us. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What I heard there is Jesus is my friend. Do you think of Jesus that way? The sacrificial lamb and the scapegoat of the Old Testament covenant were accomplished in Jesus' the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world the prophet Isaiah had spoken about this sacrifice nearly 700 years before it happened. The text we read from Isaiah 53, I love how that happens. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter. For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. And at that moment, when Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit willingly in peace, this is where we see the greatest promise of all being fulfilled the sacrifice that was ours to pay to God the Father was accomplished. The debt, our debt, was paid in full. 
Jesus' death on the cross was no longer a thing to come, but it was the first time that mankind had seen the physical demonstration of God's grace on display. Could you imagine seeing that? The gospel is often thought of as an offensive act carried out on an innocent man who did not deserve any of it. And truly, it is all of those things. But I would also encourage you to think about the love and the hope that it represents also. Because Jesus, the spotless lamb, as we sang, freely gave his life for you and me. We get to see the good in the gospel message where we undeservingly experience love and hope, knowing that not only did he die, but he did so according to the plan of a sovereign God. A sovereign God who loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross, to be buried in a tomb, to be raised three days later. He defeated the grave. And by doing so, he fulfilled the promise of salvation to us whom he has called for those that are saved, those that are his own. This brings me to the third and final point. Once for all, Jesus died as a victor. He had completed what he had come to do. That's the definition of a victory. It is finished, he cried. It is finished, he shouted from the cross, in victory. Christ also suffered once for sins, our sins the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but to be made alive in the spirit. Nothing is more necessary, nothing more is necessary to reconcile God with humankind. And nothing more can be done as some people insist on working on their own salvation. Attempting to please God is an offense to Jesus' sacrifice. And if someone tries this, you might have to question their relationship with Christ. They're diminishing the value. If someone tries to add personal sacrifice to the sacrifice of Christ to get their own salvation, we often say that Christ plus something is nothing. Faith is faith, and it's not deeds. Either we believe in Jesus 100%, or we do not believe in him and despise his sacrifice. When the jailer in Philippi asked the apostles, what must I do to be saved? They simply answered him, Believe in the Lord Jesus, 
and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And you and your household. That's Acts 16.30. He couldn't do anything but believe. Forgiveness and salvation are a matter of faith in Jesus who proclaimed in a loud, strong voice. Thank you for that working. (laughs) In this faith, and only in this faith, we are saved to a new life with the resurrected Jesus according to God's will. Romans 6, 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So, in what ways do you see the evidence of God's sovereignty in this passage demonstrated in your life? What does it mean to you that Jesus gave up his life for you? Jesus died as a victor. What are you doing daily in your life that celebrates this victory? So others see Christ through you. Salvation is a gift from God. It's totally free and it's totally accomplished. It's not like when you get a puzzle or a gift or something that you have to put together or put the pieces together. It's finished. It's a ready gift. God gives it to us by grace and we accept it by faith. It's finished is the full stop to a long separation between man and God. I'm going to say that again. It is finished is the full stop to a long separation between man and God. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. God was reconciling himself, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Did you hear that? You don't have to count your sins. It's been paid for. So then why is this day called Good Friday? Why not Bad Friday? I mean, when we remember all the sufferings of Jesus, I don't know, it seems kind of awful for him. But for us, maybe, maybe it's because it was the day that our salvation was assured, that it was accomplished. It's finished. The worship team will come up. So, there's nothing more to do except tell people about the good news, right? Or, if you've not already done so, in faith, yourself, to accept Jesus' offer of hope, that you could have life everlasting, 
And all you must do is believe. What was shared by us here today, by the jailer in Philippi, and all of the other examples throughout Scripture. If you've not done that yet, find somebody here that you can talk to about the gospel message. Find somebody here who's experienced that love and that hope by realizing that our sins have been paid in full by the work that was done on the cross. We would love to talk to you about it because we love you and we care about you because that's what Jesus did for us. It's what he does for us. He loves and he cares for us. If you have questions, we're happy to answer them. But I would encourage you, if you don't know the Lord, do not walk out of here thinking that the next minute is guaranteed to you. Don't walk out of here thinking, I'll think about it when I get home. Don't walk out of here thinking tomorrow I can make a choice. We are not promised not one more minute. What would it look like in your life if you just asked some questions and took a chance on the other side of the coin? Next week is the 12th year. I'm so bad with years. I think it's the 12th year since I gave my life to the Lord. And I thought about a couple of different ways to, to close, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this way and just tell you that prior to my life in the Lord, I thought I was in control of everything. I made plans. But on the other side, I did things that totally contradicted the possibility of me having the life that I have today. I can tell you with the same assurance that we heard today in Scripture that if I had not given my life to the Lord, if He had not called me when He did these things, my family, the things that I've experienced in my life over the last 12 years, I can tell you would not have been this way. I may not have even been here. But hear this, because of the grace and the mercy that I find in Christ every single day. I don't know what my next step is. I don't know what he has planned for me, but I know that I'm not in control because he's a sovereign God and I am resting in that assurance every single day. And it is a whole heck of a lot better than where I was at 12 years ago. So let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your only son to us. Lord, thank you for your willingness to die, even death on a cross. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in our lives. God, I ask right now to embolden this body of believers to give them hearts to serve you, to go outside the walls of this church and spread the good news that we just heard of your son who lived a perfect life and was yet crucified on, our, on a cross for our sins. 
to be raised three days later, as you said, as you said, would happen, which is our assurance that you are sovereign and that you love us. You've established a way for us to come before you righteous and spotless in your sight. And thank you, Jesus, that you have been restored into a right relationship with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.